Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of UCR's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi. Second year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Josh. How you doing, Dr. Parks? And second-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hi, Dr. Parks. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent UCR, UCR Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, we're doing Dreams and Nightmares Part 2. The reason why is we can't pack all the content and all the things that we wanted to talk about and say about Dreams and Nightmares into one episode. So we're expanding it to two episodes. Before we get there... I just want to also give people the opportunity. Is there anything new in the news of a psychological or psychiatric nature? Okay. That, yes. I, Tosha. I have an article that Tosha, I want to talk about. I've been mic. wanting to talk about this. So um, in December of this past year, Plus One published an article about um, uh, a study on pet dogs and pet cats in homes and how they affected the risk of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder diagnosis. So what they found was that for families who had um, a dog in the household, uh, um, like at birth of their baby to about two years old, if there was a dog in the house at that point, then that baby had a decreased risk of developing schizophrenia by 50%. And if it's in, in, yeah. Crazy. That's wild. And if it's in the first 12 years of that baby's life, the exposure to a dog, the risk goes down by 25%. So it's still significant. But it's weird that it's in the first two years. Yeah. That's the where you get the most gain. Yeah, the most gain is in the first two years. You said 50, 5-0. Yeah. But that's, in that's the almost is, is this for regular in the first two years, that's when you're developing a lot of your uh, immunoprotection and think if they developed a pill that that reduced your rate of schizophrenia by fifty dog pill. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> that would dog, be yeah. Be, but oh, it, I think it goes to support the like the hypothesis that it's neuroimmunology neuroimmun- right? Exactly. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Hypothesis and then is inflammation. This for- Sorry for interruption. Is this yeah. for regular people or people who are at risk and have like degenerative link to schizophrenia? General pop know, or I think this is for regular people. I'm not exactly sure. General pop. <laughs> General <Gen> population. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> this association was not explained by a range of demographic factors which may affect household pet exposure, mm-hmm. including age, gender, race, place of birth, level of parental education. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point, though, Edgar. But they looked at bipolar disorder. There was no significant difference in bipolar diagnosis. Interesting. And they also looked at cats, and cats didn't change rate of diagnosis either. It's just dogs and schizophrenia. I'm a dog person. I'm a dog Mm. person too. Yeah, Yeah. I always need a bet bet on dogs. (laughs) (laughs) My argument for getting a dog just got a whole lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Can justify. Now I can justify. By the way, you're getting a puppy, Tosha, right? Uh, Yes. Yes. Friday. You're getting a puppy. Oh, you're just planning. Now you're actually... What type is it? Oh, I've been planning. What type of puppy? A schnoodle. What's a schnoodle? A schnauzer poodle mix. (laughs) Should have guessed. And it actually says like... I have a schnauzer and I have a poodle. That's right. That's right. If only you hadn't spayed and neutered them, you'll have to see him. I want to see the mix of those two dogs. Yes. I'm going to name him Genji. It's the same that I name. 
It's a what samurai. Yes, samurai, like a Japanese samurai. samurai. Yeah. You say it different, samurai. Samurai. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so <laughs> do you have any two years old? That dog's gonna be adorable because oh, both yeah. of my dogs are adorable. So. Yeah, he's got all sorts of colors like gray, black, wow. brown. Party dog. Party? It's <laughs> like a party. Because you color. call a party poodle with that's mixtures. That's right. Apparently oh, party that's is like mostly white, but with some like spots of color. Mm. I don't know. How cool. Anyways, well, I'm nice. very excited. Probably. Thank you for keeping us updated. Yes. <laughs> keep, yeah, keep us updated yes. on that very important development. Oh yeah, and also thank you for the the, the study on schizophrenia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let's just move our topics to dreams and nightmares. Um First of all, I, let's uh, you know. Every time you talk about dream analysis, you have to talk about Freud. Freud believed in the symbolic nature of dreams that this would represent something about the psyche, and um, that you can um, kind of uh, uh, you know go to an expert that has studied this, and they can see that parts of your dream maybe have some sexual reference, or um, you know can kind of say something about what your unconscious is is doing or wanting. I just want to lay it out there. Has, does anyone feel that there's any kind of um, relevance to that kind of analysis or usefulness to that? I mean, I I do, but from the from the tone and the leading nature of the question, <laughs> I'm thinking that you have some thoughts. Well, I mean, I didn't. I I searched the. I didn't do an exhaustive study, but I searched for any kind of uh, you know studies that could kind of provide some foundation because when I was younger I did look into dream analysis and think about mm -hmm. it and bought books on it and things like that and it was fascinating because you would you, I, you know I had books that would you would look up like oh uh, there was a dog in the door there's water or there's mm -hmm. a cliff and this meant, meant right the snake this, means this. Yes, right, right. And, you know, if uh, Freud famously, you know, cigar is just a cigar. Also, it doesn't have to be a penis, right? But, I mean, I, I feel like it's not that cookie cutter. It's very unique. People have different meanings in their own lives. I don't feel that there's some sort of universal hmm. kind of uh, um, recognition of the symbolic nature of dreams. I don't, sometimes I feel like dreams are not symbolic at all. Very, it's very, They're very easily understood. It's and, and, and I, like I said before, they're very boring sometimes. They're just hmm. what you did during the day. But I want to. I want to. I'm open to being. Well, I'm open to listening to it. I don't okay. know if I'm open to being convinced. Okay. So I have a whole thing about this. Okay. So I think that it's important because we make it important. So the fact that Freud, Jung, Lacan, uh, Adler, all these people were hugely influential in Western culture throughout the 20th century, it shaped a lot of how we think about things. The fact that we even have the terms like unconscious and subconscious, ego, super ego, id, like those things are common. Everybody uses those terms almost. Now that wasn't around before that. And the fact that a lot of our media shapes itself around Freudian ideas. A lot of the 20th century media, like film, for instance, came into the fore when those ideas were extremely popular. So the way we structure movies, the way we structure um, storytelling, kind of models off of those things. For instance, like uh, Joseph Campbell f famously made The Power of Myth and The Hero's Journey off of Jungian archetypes and the hero's journey and then that was directly used to create the star wars franchise originally in the 70s and that shapes our idea of like what the hero's narrative is and all of that stuff all of that media seeps into your brain somehow and that's what dreams are made up of in the last episode you said that you dream about celebrities which means that there's some content from the outside getting in and that it's being intercalated while you sleep and i think 
that meaning only exists in as much as we give it meaning. So if things mean something to you, then you should probably work with that because it's it is meaningful to you. Now, I do I think there's some grand external narrative like a collective unconscious. I don't know. There's probably a shared history of of a certain type, but it's probably culturally transferred in a way. That's my that's my whole spiel. That was beautiful, John. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Extemporaneous just popped up. <laughs> okay, but I, I, if I'm understanding you correctly, is is there a chicken and egg issue here? Like, so I, I think it's external to internal. That's my argument. Mm-hmm, okay, so because 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 Freud was saying that it was there before he wrote about it, right? That's I don't buy into that and, so okay, much. Okay, all right. So then when he wrote about it, then we start dreaming about it. Yeah, right. I okay. mean, you start so thinking about the, thing, those he, in terms. He wrote a book that then. It got it. It was so widespread, and, and it seeped into the consciousness of people that it then proved itself because it did. Uh, yeah, that. <laughs> I mean that's what the Bible did for all of Western culture. Ooh. There's a direct connection between monotheistic religions and capitalism. Yeah. Well, I guess not direct. Direct. It takes a couple. Well, of steps. I, I, I'm, just, I'm skeptical <laughs> that the seepage but, happens that like that, like that. Much. I mean, how much of it, it does? How much of your okay with your world do you consciously take into view? Whereas like, you know, for instance, subliminal messaging, subliminal messaging, you know, however, how predictive it is, I'm not sure, but there's no denying that certain things get in, whether or not you're consciously aware of them. I agree right? with that. I agree with that. I'm just, um, his, his, uh, you know, thesis about, um, how a lot of it's sexual in nature. And again, where he came from that, where he got that was from a lot of women talking about actual molestation. And then he came up with this issue of, uh, of how a lot of uh, human behavior is, is sexual and all these, you know, uh, Oedipus complex stuff like that. Sure. I mean, that that is, I, so I feel like that probably influenced his idea of um, symbolic, the symbolic nature of dreams, you know, because, and again, he was on the wrong track at that point. But then, you know, there was also, so what is it, the, the will to power? I mean, there was Nietzsche's ideas that were also around those time. Like there was, um, Irvin Yalom was from the school of thought of logotherapy, which was, you know, a man's search for meaning. So, like, Adler had the idea of power, I believe. Freud had the sexual um, kind of basis for everything. Jung had the collective unconscious kind of idea. Like, they all had different ideas about what was really at the core of all these things. But the whole thing was, like, the cultural milieu around that time was there are things that we don't even consciously recognize and that they're shaping us. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that for that. I feel yeah. like that is probably one of, if, if not his, the most. That and the unconscious, the idea of the unconscious that he fully fleshed out. Did he didn't originate, but he fully fleshed it out in a I, way that no. One I did. also liked his point on day residues, which I talked about a little bit in the first episode, just at the very end. Victor Frankel, sorry, just came back. Go ahead. Okay, so day residues is Freud's idea that um, things happening in the day kind of just percolate into our dreams, just like a continuing conversation from the day into our unconscious mm, you dream. You got that right. Yeah, I like Stumbled that. Stumbled into the truth. I like that. I, I agree with that. And Because I was thinking about the same thing. Wouldn't this go in hand, hand in hand of what the newer theories of what it is like uh, kind of right. sorting your memories, right. emotions, and feelings exactly. with your day residues, yeah. of, you know? through the day and being able to do that when you're, you know, sleeping, consolidating memories and all that. So I do I have, I think that's kind of related and interesting to see that the research is going in that direction or, or what we think. The continual activation theory. theory. Right. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of similar to that. You're right, Edgar. Now, as far as the usefulness of dreams and can you um, improve your life on it, I know I asked this last time, but um, f- 
first that you you know you can create some lucid dreaming meaning that you become aware of your dreams but the idea of developing skills while you are aware of your dreams there is research that proves that is also true that you can actually what? enhance your skills you can practice things and you can enhance skills with lucid dreaming i don't want to get into the like what skills we're <laughs> what? talking about woodworking well, it could be like you can become better <laughs> it could be emotion management it could be relationship underwater welding patterns <laughs> um but that is a it's a new it's a new kind of research okay. area that you can now but now um, was that that study that you were going to talk about well i mean i mean you know the as far video as video games Yeah, yeah. You know, as far as like, you know, when they looked at people that had were aware of their dreams the most, children and adolescents were very high on that. And then mm -hmm. it, it just starts slowly declining. But mm -hmm. they did notice that people that had the most experience of lucid dreaming, and again, we're talking about half the, of the population, about 50 to 58%, um, the, the people that played a lot of video games had, had a lot of lucid dreams. They were aware that they were dreaming. Now, does that surprise? you? Do you feel like that's understandable? The, the one I, I'm not sure if I, I'm assuming it's the same study, similar study, but they say one is the kind of interactive, physically interactive video games. You know, like you have virtual reality, you yeah, have the Nintendo Wii, like which you use your mm -hmm. your hands and stuff like that to participate in the game. And I, I that's the one I remember I read about being when you practice those yeah, and like you do it, right? it's, it's re related to being able to have lucid dreams and more in control of those. Mm. No, I think that totally makes sense. Mm. I, I might so yeah, that's, that's a good excuse for me to buy a PlayStation 4. Yeah. <laughs> <And then, laughs> my wife has been opposing that. And then the direction that this could be beneficial is at some point, you know, with post-traumatic stress, you have the nightmares and all that. Oh, cool. So you find a way that that's that can right. control your dreams. Oh, my God. You can yeah. start controlling your nightmares and dreams and by maybe training somehow with a video game interface and you might be able to treat that in that way with some sort of therapy as well. That's the new frontier. You need to go to huh. the VA and pitch that. They're already yes. using video games, by the way, for cognitive rehabilitation. Oh, they do. Really? People okay. that have, uh, yeah. Like it, voices. Um, they use it for voices. Two? Man, yeah. they're using video games for everything yeah. over there. Well, video games. go over there and play some video games. The VA is like, yep, just get it done. Whatever it is, we'll <laughs> give you money. Next episode, we're going to be playing video games and chatting. No. We, yeah, no, it sounds like video games are, are a good entry into uh, um, imp improvement or different kind of psychological functioning. So. My friends used to tell me when I was like in elementary school that, oh, no wonder why Edgar's so smart because I was playing video games. Do sure you play a lot of video games? I used to, and then like how many hours a day would you play? Like, oh, in, not anymore. In, in your in Before? your prime. Before, yeah. In your video in your game <laughs> prime. <laughs> How many hours are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Are you, you going to play all three a day? Did you three play a day? all night? Or have you have you played video games all night? No, I will play all weekend. But oh, yeah. but I also eat and go to the bathroom. It's not like well, you sure. know, God. no. There's some people who don't do that. <laughs> who, who wear diapers and I guess I'm not sure. I never did that. I just wanted to That's try that. What What was wow. your number one game? Um, Favorite game of all time? Go. Like Mario Kart, Smash Brothers. Mm. Is familiar with these games. So you like group games, party games. Yeah, or oh. mission ones. Like I, I remember maybe playing the Star Wars. You know, when well, you it can came play out. the Gets mm. Peter and Mario Kart. Yeah, that to too. That, yeah. yeah. You know, I like cars, so I'd probably do that. When I, when I was I, um, doing my um, my uh, dissertation, I played like Turok like uh, most of the day. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Just for? procrastinating okay. when I should have been Great. writing. You know, I, I play a lot when I was a kid because of my brother and all that. And then I have nothing until four-year medical school once you're almost ready to match in your oh specialty. That's when I, have I got into Minecraft. Time. Yeah. You got into Minecraft? I have a lot of free time yeah. oh, that's that I got up. PlayStation 4. Do you feel that video games <laughs> helped you or hurt you? Because I have a personal opinion that I played a lot of video games when I was young, and I feel it turned my brain to mush. 
Really? I have ADHD. I feel the other way. But it I, you? But I think mm-hmm. like even now. Maybe it, games maybe it all depends day. on no, the no, game. No, not all day. Like I think like anything in balance. Like right now if right. I go and play after an hour I'm like bored. Yes. So like I don't have like person addictive thing that I want to keep playing till tomorrow usually because I, I satisfy my needs and then I move. Yes. So you're you so in that discipline. in that way at least with video games in that way I don't think it's like excessive to the point where it's taken from all the things that I should be doing or studying or reading. Okay. So. Well, I mean, I, if, if if everyone's okay with that, I, I did some research on how consistent. Um, well, before we get into this, my new <laughs> fascinating area. <laughs> I just, that was a teaser, y'all. Um, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched. Uh, tonight we're going to talk. We are talking about dreams. This is dreams part two. We do, we couldn't fit it all part into two. part one, and so now we're talking about dreams and nightmares. Um, and I want to move the discussion into how consistent is dream content with actual diagnoses, things like depression, anxiety, eating disorders. Um, and they, they have done some studies with that. And they found that people that were diagnosed with depression had more dreams that had family members in them. Mm, interesting. Is that, and they had, of course, more, greater negative mood tone, which is consistent with having depression. That totally makes sense. Time orientation of the dream was more focused on the past than on mm-hmm. control groups. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. Okay. Um, and anxiety and hostility, not so much in depressed folks. So you get this kind of low energy, not a lot of uh, activation kind of again negative down mood mm-hmm. focus on family members the past mm-hmm. that kind of does that, yeah, does that, that seem sense. to make sense? sense totally um what about anxiety disorders um well people with anxiety disorders had they had more social interactions in their dreams that were less friendly and more aggressive mm-hmm. interactions mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to control uh the, the control groups um they also found that there was more successful goal accomplishment than controls now that kind of surprised me. I, um, hmm. so that, yeah, kinda, I feel I identify with that. <laughs> Are you an anxious person? I, I used to be. Yeah. And did you have a lot of successful goal accomplishment? When yes. You were and I was like mad at people. Remember, like fighting people in my dreams. Oh yeah. Hmm. But did you also have nightmares? Yeah. When you okay, because that that also corresponds because yeah. people that had anxiety disorders did have a significantly higher frequency of frightening dreams. Hmm. Yeah. Or nightmares. Mm, Monsters yeah. and all that. Um, people with bipolar, um, um, borderline personality disorder had more distressing dreams. I guess that's that's kind of convinced. Um, uh, that that makes sense. Um, people with schizotypal personality disorder had more uh, instances of lifelong nightmares than the general population. We should what talk a little bit mean? about schizotypal or schizotypal. Yeah, like, what? Give me give me a definition of schizotypal or schizotypal. They're mostly just sort of bizarre people, right? Kind of, they're very out there. Magical thinking seems to be one of the hallmark traits of that one. A lot, a lot of, uh, I feel like a lot of them have like uh, paranoia or delusions or uh, uh, issues that, like society. There's like these conspiracies in society, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. They're more outlandish. I know a lot outlandish, of people have, yeah. have those, but yeah. And they might, they That's might that be. That's that Stars TV show, right? <laughs> Outlander? Oh, no. okay. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Elliot, can uh, you edit that out? That yeah, did yeah, not yeah, hit. Take Thank that you. Out. <laughs> just, our producer, our producer Elliot that, that did not play um, well. Got it. <laughs> Tough crap. Now, for eating disorders, um, people with eating disorders, but only for bulimia, had more frequent dreams of food. Hmm. Not not people that anorexia. Mm. Okay, so bulimia is binge eating. Okay. 
Um, and anorexia is more of a um, depriving yourself kind of thing. I do wish I had more dreams about food. Because you like to, like, and well, in a positive way, I, I take it, like eating a big yeah. sundae. That way you don't have to eat it in real life without Just the calories. like a big bowl of pasta. But would that make you hungry and then you'd eat a lot of pasta during the day? Oh, like prime super dreams have because that makes sense. Like if people <laughs> bulimia and binge eating and they're dreaming Do about dreams food. predict the future. Oh, <laughs> oh. So, uh, okay. So people with obsessive compulsive disorder, um, they did have less positive emotions. But here's the interesting thing: that when they had successful treatment, um, they had less obsessive compulsive. Uh, aspects in their dream content when they had successful treatment. In the first five mm. days of successful treatment, it significantly reduced any kind of obsessive compulsive um, content. So that, that that's my take of the research on people, psychiatric people who are diagnosed with um, psychiatric conditions. Um, so I, I, has anyone has anyone had like a, um, an example of someone that had a lot of um, bizarre dreams and it seemed to correspond to their diagnosis? No, not that not mm. that I recall. No. I honestly don't talk to my patients about their dreams that much. People, it has been shown that people with a lot of nightmares do have significantly higher anxiety levels. So, mm. does you feel like that is true? Huh. That people well, are thinking <laughs> of me now. <laughs> do you have a, no? no well, I thought you had well, before. Dreams. Before, yeah, it's like I, I I remember as a kid having those nightmares within those same patterns that we talk about the monsters, the hero thing, blah blah blah. And yes, I was I was thinking about worrying about what's the next day. I think I have insomnia since I was like I don't know, twelve years old maybe. Because one time I remember the way at least I remember being triggered is I have this big project I never like taken anything like that big, and then I kept thinking about you know on that that day. And after that, I couldn't sleep and I was always anxious. Um, I did have a lot of dreams when I was a kid like that and those patterns, but mm. I, I mean I'm. Not really. I can't tell you anymore. Now, I guess. Um, have 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 you ever tried to suppress negative thoughts? Like if you like you don't want to think of something negative, and you try to suppress it, and you try to push it down, and in that way, that's your way of dealing with it. Just distract mm -hmm. yourself, or suppress it, or not think about it. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing: um, studies have shown that if you actively suppress unwanted negative thoughts before you fall asleep, you have a higher frequency of nightmares. Mm. <laughs> that are related to those negative thoughts. <laughs> so if you want to create nightmares to yourself, just suppress see, your we, have, negative we, we do everything for people. We tell people how to reduce their nightmares or increase them. <laughs> well, do whatever you, you're that looking might for. Not be therapeutic. No, I don't. I don't, I don't that think so. That sounds Freudian, doesn't it? That like you can't you can't suppress it fully. It's going to bubble it up. It comes at out some in point. your unconscious. Yeah, right. yeah. Yes. I, I don't have. I don't. Yeah, no. I, well, I said. I don't know. No, don't gloat. Don't gloat. I said. Feeling it should be patted on the back, or the oh, he's dead now. But if he was here, I'd pat him on the back for good job on the unconscious. <laughs> the good most job. patronizing yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would just clap like slow. Wow, way to go! Yeah. Way to shape the 20th century, buddy. <laughs> the sex stuff, not so much. See, yeah, I would give him. I said yeah, that. I agree I with that. that. Sex stuff, not so much. Then I would then quickly follow up. But the sex stuff, you need to work on that. Yeah, I would. That's how I would yeah. go back. Maybe that says about his personal life. What now? Maybe that will say about his personal life. What? Like he I, don't so really know. What, I don't really know much right, about Freud's about personal life. Yeah. About, like, do you, do we know much theory. about his I'm personal not, life? I'm not sure. Do you, Josh? Not a ton. I, I don't know. Not a ton. He conveniently left that 
out of the history books. Right. As in a, in a, in a, it will be interesting. Yeah, because he wanted to be a blank slate when he was right. doing therapy, right? That's why I he actually recently went to his museum in Vienna. How was it? Like a week ago. Ooh, it was that's great. That's like a humble brag right there. That you just <laughs> that. You just and I have a whole timeline of his life that I took a picture of. I mean, I'm not going to read it here, but... Is there anything Wait, interesting? Share with you guys. Is there anything interesting yeah. in that? Yeah, take a look, Joshua. Is there or anything personal life? Is it? Is there any symbolic? I mean, no. No. Well, mm. I maybe maybe there's nothing we can glean from knowing more about him, <laughs> <laughs> other than he was wrong about a lot of things. But okay, all right. Well, um, what about PTSD? Nightmares are a big part of PTSD, mm-hmm. um, and so is now. I have to admit that I I don't do a lot when I work with pe- folks with PTSD I don't do a lot of nightmare work. I don't. Oh, see that's where I talk a lot about dreams with PTSD okay, patients. Yeah, that's how a, do you talk about? That's a big deal for psychiatrists. How yeah, do you, how it's do you a big talk deal. about dreams? Well, just asking them the subject matter of their dreams, how frequently do they have them, when is it worse, what makes it worse, that, that type of stuff. What, because what that we that? can actually tackle with medications. Oh, okay. So then just like keeping a, a kind of a log of what their severity of their nightmares are um, and specifically their response to the nightmare. So when they wake up, how they're physiologically doing, how they're responding to the dream. Are Why is they that important? sweaty? Are they tremulous? Are they Why is that important? disoriented? Because prazosin can help reduce that response. It can help um, make them less freaked out when they wake up from their dreams. It can actually reduce the number of nightmares they have. It can reduce all that like hyper arousal going on specifically mm. at night, which I think is like... I th- I think that whole thing about nightmares and the anxiety patients have, PTSD patients have around night, in my personal view, this isn't like I didn't read it anywhere. I think it has to do with just feeling the most vulnerable when you're sleeping. So your body just reacts in a way where you're like extra reactive yeah, at that point. System is yes, because your body knows like, I'm at this, I'm so vulnerable right now. And that's where PTSD patients are, are the most afraid. Right. That's a personal The constant need to be theory. stimulated too. I mean, the amount of caffeine that they take in or the use of stimulants. A lot of time patients with PTSD need to stay alert for fear that if they let, like, let their guard down, that's when they'll be attacked. Well, mm-hmm. let me ask you, um, if ideally... Do you want to treat a nightmare with just medication or do you all want to tr- use psychological interventions to reduce the nightmares? I mean, prazosin is just so quickly effective. I, I really... Just do the intense phase or just Honestly, all the time? even like when I have a patient, let's say you have a patient with PTSD who doesn't want, who's not interested in medications at all, I start them on prazosin because I am so confident that they're going to have a positive response to this medication that's so benign, meaning it's not really likely to cause side effects, that once I get them on board with Prazosin, then I can start treating their PTSD mm, with an really antidepressant strategy, or something like that. Because yeah. they're like, oh, all right, doc, like, give, they will me, know give that me whatever. Because they work and they ride the way right. feel better. They're like, okay, the like, I am sleeping. Once someone's sleeping better, like, they are on the your side. Like, oh, yeah. How do you pitch uh, psychological interventions? Uh, I just that, say that causes a belief in for PTSD specifically. I, I tell them that PTSD is one of those um, psychiatric diagnoses that really has the most benefit when you go to therapy in terms of treatment. Mm-hmm. Medications can only take you so far with PTSD. But that's a, that's a good strategy. 
I feel like that. So that, that you'd get good success with that. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it's not like predominantly a psychiatric medication. Prazosin is right. for blood pressure. Yeah. Right. And PTSD is one of those multi-symptom right. diagnoses that's just kind of all, yeah, it's all over the place. So it's hard yeah. to target it. But present is one of those unique, I guess, that the, yeah, it's like one of those things that really does it. But I guess also antidepressants, is that the second one that you would use? Yes. Because it's yeah. like anxiety and depression. Right. And yeah. So there mm-hmm. are SSRIs that are Symptoms. FDA approved for PTSD. Mm-hmm. Paxil and... No, uh, is it Zoloft? Sertraline and mm-hmm. Proxetine, I think. Oh, okay. FDA indication. Okay. Um, uh, what about now? This is kind of a random question. Do do you um, for Edgar? Do you dream yes. in Spanish or English? Well, I I think I do both, but I I haven't found like a pattern of why one versus the other one. It just happens. Maybe like you know, if I'm spending a weekend in Mexico, family stuff like that related, then yes, I will dream because that's my context but oh. if i'm here and i'm most predominantly i'm just thinking seeing everybody my patients and everything in english just it probably be just regular but I, I think it was i used to be able to tell more which one it was and now it's harder to differentiate because mm. it's like your thoughts yes which is that what happened when i learned better english or somehow better english and be more fluent and have a better vocabulary then it was hard initially. I have to think and translate, and then the more you go on the other side, it's just automatic. So it's maybe similar with the dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a marker for people learning language, how how good they are at that second language learning. That's like, oh, like how are much you dreaming dream in, in that language yet? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that makes sense. And that will do it for us on another episode of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about, it was part two of Dreams and Nightmares. Thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Joshua Poole. If you want to comment or ask us a question or have a suggestion for the show, write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elliot Fong. This episode was recorded in studios of KUCR on the campus of the University of California, Riverside. I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.